0: Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kent. Thank you for your word this evening, I just pray as we turn to the scripture that would we open our eyes to see that in truth this world is crazy and getting crazier by the day that you have the control over everything you rule and reign and high and you have the perfect timing and you know what you're doing and we can trust you in this life I just pray that you would give us courage and that you would strengthen our faith as we turn to your word lord and uh, that we would uh, just have the tenacity to hold on crazy times and continue to serve you and continue to stand to be your witnesses and working to fulfill the great commission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at chapters 15 and 16, wherein we read about the seven bowls of God's wrath, the seven bowls that he pours out. So if you remember, it's going back to the beginning, there is a chronology in the book of Revelation, but the chronology gets jumbled up with things that are out of order, flashbacks, things like that, like in any good movie or a good play or a good story. And uh, so we're kind of getting back to that chronology in 15 and 16, because now we have seven bowls being poured out, and these are the seven bowls of God's wrath. And these come with the seventh trumpet. Everything we're looking at from chapter 14 through chapter 20 is concerning the second coming of Jesus, and his second coming is at the time of the last trumpet, at the time of the seventh trumpet. So we have seven seals, and if you will, inside of the seventh seal, or as a part of the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets. And as a part of the seventh trumpet, there are seven bowls. Um, After chapter 16, uh, chapters 17 and 18, are going to kind of break the chronology in a sense because it's, it's going to be giving us more details about the fall of Babylon and about what Babylon is. And then chapter 19, will come back with the actual second coming uh, of Jesus being described there. So we want to look at chapters 15 and 16, the seven goals of God's wrath this evening. And I'm just going to begin reading with chapter 15, uh, verse 1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. And the word marvelous could mean also, aston- could be translated as astonishing. These are signs that John sees on the earth. He looks up into heaven and he sees another great sign is great and it's astonishing to him. It's marvelous. He says what he saw are seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last. Immediately when we read the word plagues, we should think back to the book of Exodus and the plagues poured out on Egypt. Uh, The seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. So these are the last plagues. This is the completion of God's wrath. This is the end of the story. This is what brings it to an end. And it says that I saw something, this is what he saw, that was uh, great and marvelous or astonishing. I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast, and his image, and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So let's talk about that kind of first section here just for a little bit. Some of the things that we see here are that John sees are repetition of what he's seen before, but with something added to them. The first thing I want to say to you is this is coming at the very end of the time of the great tribulation. This is coming at the end of the 1260 days or the three and a half years, which is the second half of the Great Tribulation. And what he's seen is a part of the first resurrection. And we often use this word rapture. And it's just a word that was really popularized in the 70s with How Lindsay books and things like that. And uh, it's still a very popular idea that that will happen before the last seven years. But hopefully I've been able to show you that that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And that the rapture and the resurrection happen at the same time. I'm just going to use the word rapture, uh, but that's just a Latin term put into English that means the catching away. That we will be caught up together with him in the clouds, we who are alive and remain. But Paul makes it very clear that that will not happen until the dead in Christ are raised first. Now, in the book of Revelation, we're coming to it, we're going to see that there are only two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous. And so the first resurrection, there can't be another resurrection before that. And so that is when the rapture happens. And we've already seen some clear pictures of that and seen uh, some clear things in what Jesus said, how when the Son of Man comes, he will send forth his angels and gather his elect from the four corners of the earth unto himself. And so Paul talks about us being caught up together to meet him in the clouds. And so we see here that uh, Jesus is coming back and uh, he looks up into heavens. See, it's a sign in the heavens. So it's a sign that he can see in the atmosphere. It's a sign of the coming of the Son of Man. And he sees a sea of glass that's mixed with fire. So we've seen the sea of glass uh, already. Uh, The sea of glass uh, we saw around the throne of of God. But now we see that it's mixed with fire. So this crystal clear sea of glass uh, is showing us, it's mixed with fire, showing us that God's wrath is being poured out on the earth at the second coming of Jesus. But when he looks up there, it says that he sees uh, on the sea of glass uh, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, they're standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. So he looks up and he sees all the saints of God. He sees Jesus coming back. He sees the sea of glass so you can see through it because it's crystal clear. He looks up into the clouds and I just can't even imagine, You know, I think even the best painting of this doesn't do it justice. But he sees all the people that have been raised from the dead in the first resurrection and that have been raptured, that have been caught up together to meet Jesus in the air. So here's one thing we do learn from the book of Revelation. When people say that God's wrath will not be poured out on us because we'll be raptured and we won't be here, that's actually true. But it doesn't mean that we won't be here during those 1260 days, because this happens at the end of the 1260 days. And we'll still be here if we're still alive at that time, when the mark of the beast is being given out, when all these seals are being broken, when these trumpets are, are sounding, we will be living through all of that time. And many Christians will be put to death uh, in that time just as they already are uh, being today. But during the time of the outpouring of God's wrath, when, he poured, when God pours his wrath out, this isn't something the dragon's doing. You know, This isn't something the Antichrist is doing. This isn't something that the false prophet is doing. This is God pouring out his wrath upon the earth. Then we see that we will not be here. We will be with him and be a part of his second coming, of his pouring out of the wrath upon the earth. So how long of a period of time is that? If the time of the great tribulation is 1260 days, then it's very likely, I can't prove this, we'd have to look through it to know, but there actually are 30 days left because Daniel, if you'll remember, we've looked at this several times, talks about the 1290 days where it's revealed to him that there's another 30 days that are revealed and that there's a blessing for those that survive to the end of that. So it's very possible, it it seems most likely to me when we put this together with the book of Daniel, that these uh, seven bowls are being poured out in succession one after another over a very short period of time, which would make sense. It's... You know, Jesus coming back. So it's this all-out flooding of the earth with God's wrath to bring cleansing on the earth and to draw all the armies of the earth to Armageddon for the final battle. Okay, so that's going on for a period, I would guess, of 30 days. That's that's my best guess at it on this side of it's actually uh, happening. Um, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we read, that Satan is the prince uh, over the domain of the air. It's the spirit working in the sons of disobedience. But once again, we see this this idea, this theme in the book of Revelation of this great divorce. Now Satan has been completely cast out of the air, completely cast out of the heavens. And Jesus Christ is the prince in the air together with, with all of his saints. Um, we see that the heavens... The first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven are united again. They're not united today. Our heaven and between our heaven and what is going on on this earth and God's heaven, the third heaven, there's a great disparity today. (laughs) There's a great difference. Psalm 2 tells us that God is sitting in his heaven and laughing at what we're doing in our heavens and laughing at what Satan is doing here. But We see the union of heaven and the separation of God's enemies from the people of God. We need to compare that to the book of Exodus, and and we're going to do that. So it says here that they sang the song of of Moses, the bondservant of God. But we also see that the song of Moses is called the Song of the Lamb. So um, if you will go, I'm not going to read them right now, but if you will look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, you would read the Song of Moses, which is also included in the Psalms. So Exodus chapter 15 verses one through 21. The Song of the Lamb is located in Revelation chapter five verses nine through 14. And if you read both of those and put them together and read what it says right here, you would see that what's written here in chapter 15 is kind of like a, a, a chorus, a summary of all the words and the themes that are in those two amazing songs. Um, So our attention is drawn to the Lamb, and because of the reference to Moses and the reference to Exodus, obviously our attention is drawn to the Lamb uh, that was slain, to the Passover Lamb, at the first Exodus, and to the victory of the Passover Lamb at the second Exodus, at the cross of Calvary. So this is prophesied, actually, I'm going to give you another place if you want to study, that you can study, in Isaiah, from the beginning of chapter 40 all the way through chapter 55, from 40 through 55. This is a part of Scripture that's referred to by scholars as the Exodus motif. And all of the things that uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesies there Uh, about the future deliverance from the Babylonian captivity, including uh, Isaiah chapter 53, about the suffering servant, how Christ would suffer for our sin, and how the Messiah would be one who suffers for our sin and takes upon himself our sin and our sickness and delivers us from hell. All of these things are prophesied in a section of Isaiah known as the Exodus motif. So we see this drawing together here at the very end of these ideas from the Old Testament and from the New Testament of the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Passover lamb, and that we are delivered by his blood. So we see that there is a spiritual deliverance of all all of those, as it says, who have been victorious over the beast and its image and the number of his name. There's a spiritual deliverance of that. These are those that are referred to in the seven letters at the beginning of Revelation as the overcomers. Okay, It's the theme of the whole book that we would be overcomers. And there comes a great spiritual deliverance. But it's not only a spiritual deliverance, but it's also a physical deliverance because we see that we will actually be geographically, geographically separated from the earth. For the first time in human existence, we will be located in our bodies. Okay, I know a lot of people are in heaven right now, but they're not in their bodies. Might be a few select people there, Enoch and Elijah or something. Now, Jesus for sure, but, you know, overall, no human is in a body in heaven right now. Their bodies are buried in this earth, right? And for the first time in human history, we will be located in our bodies G- in, in a different geographical location. I know some people went to the moon and supposedly proved it. I don't know. But anyway, say they did. But you can think of a few things you want to tell me. Elon Musk is going to Mars, I get it. But we live on the earth, okay? But here we will be uh, evacuated from the earth. It's like an evacuation, but it's not an evacuation really. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will go out to meet the Lamb of God. We will go out to meet Jesus. We will be drawn out to him and we will be delivered out of this Babylon. Um, okay, so let's uh, look at some parallels with the Exodus account um, before I read on in, in that part. So let me talk, take it back to Exodus and read a few verses from there. Uh, these uh, seven last plagues, seven last plagues, these seven bowls, they are seven plagues, right? Well, we know that there were 10 plagues in Egypt also, 10 plagues. And the first three plagues were separate from the last seven plagues because the first three plagues came on everybody. Everybody had to live through those, including the Israelites. But the last seven plagues, they were poured out only on the Egyptians and not on the Israelites. Uh, the first two plagues, which was the turning of the water to blood in the River Nile and the frogs, I read about those things. Can you just even imagine what it would be like to have your entire existence covered with frogs and all your water turned to blood? And these first two plagues, they were actually uh, duplicated by the magicians of Pharaoh. If you'll remember that, uh, the magicians of Pharaoh are like the false prophet in the Book of Revelation. Right? and Pharaoh himself is the type of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. So we see some types, and we see some shadows in Exodus for what is being revealed to us in the book of Revelation. So they were able to repeat these first two plays, and the people of Israel themselves, and perhaps Moses himself in his own thoughts, were a little bit confused by this, because I thought God was going to do this great deliverance and I take this rod and cast this rod down, you know, these things would happen, but suddenly it turns out that the Antichrist and the false prophet can also do some magic tricks, you know, that they can do some signs and wonders. And they're not just sleight of hand. They're not just illusions. They are operating by the power of Satan to deceive people. And so we see a parallel to the book of Revelation. And then the third plague comes. And the third plague is the lice. A plague of lice. And... It came on everybody. The Israelites got lice just like the Egyptians got lice. And so we see this parallel to Revelation that the people of God, they live through these difficult times. And one of the seals, the fifth seal, is specifically dealing with Christians being martyred for their faith. So they're living through difficult times. But here's the thing about the third plague. Something changes. Because with the third plague, the magicians are not able to duplicate it. They can only go so far. But with the third plague, there's like a crossing over to something different because now they're not able to duplicate it anymore. Somewhat like this time that we read about here in chapter 11 about the two witnesses who stand in Jerusalem. And these two witnesses are two lampstands. You know, it's two people, but they represent two churches, the power of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now even though they're slain at the end of that time by God's will, For that three and a half years, no one can withstand the word that they preach. It's fire going out of their mouth. So there's something that the magicians cannot duplicate. It says in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, Exodus 8, 19, that uh, uh, at the beginning of the fourth plague, that the magicians, they told Pharaoh, they said to Pharaoh, they said this, this is what the magicians said to him. This is what the false prophet said to the, to the Antichrist. This is the finger of God. In other words, we can't duplicate this. But it says, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them. So the first three plagues, the blood, of the frogs, the lice, they affected all the land of Egypt, even the Israelites that were living there. But beginning with the fourth plague the Lord said to Pharaoh, so the last seven plagues, this is what the Lord said, and this is Exodus chapter 8 verses 22 and 23. He said, I will separate the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. That's what we just read about in Revelation chapter 15. But the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, we won't die. We'll just get the new resurrected body. And we'll be caught up into this cloud of glory to meet the Lord. Okay? We'll be caught up onto this sea of glass that's mixed with fire. That's what John is seeing when he says it's a a sign in heaven that's great and astonishing. God said, I will put a division between my people and thy people. So I think if we want to be ready for heaven, we want to be ready for the coming of the Lord, then we need to be dividing ourselves and standing on God's side and not being on the side of this crazy world. Whatever that means, whatever that cost may be, because that's where we're going to end up, with the culture and the society of heaven and on the side of Jesus if we're on the side of Jesus. And then in Exodus chapter 11, verses six and seven, it says and that God says, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast that you may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So on the sea of glass mingled with fire, that's where John sees them. But we also have a parallel in the book of Exodus. Uh, When the Israelites crossed over through the Red Sea, when God put a division between the Israelites and the Egyptians, and the army of Pharaoh was swallowed up in the Red Sea. When they got to the other side, that's when Moses sings a song, by the way. It's talking about the song of Moses here. In Exodus chapter 14, right before Moses sings the song, at the very end of the chapter, chapter 14, verse 30, it says, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. This is a sea of glass. The picture that John is seeing is one of the saints' of God, the family of God being drawn to Jesus and standing on a sea of glass, a crystal sea, mixed with fire. And as these as these last seven plagues are being poured out onto the earth, we will see that happening on the earth. The children of Israel, it says, they saw the Egyptians dead upon the other seashore. And I don't think they were weeping about it and feeling sorry for them. I think they were rejoicing in the deliverance God had given them. They saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people, they feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Well, Moses is the parallel to Jesus, right? So in Revelation, we'd say, and his servant Jesus. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord which is the song of Moses, but it is the song of the Lamb. It's the song of the Passover Lamb. In Revelation 5, 6, we read that uh, John sees the Lamb standing as if slain. Standing means resurrected, as if slain means crucified, that he still bears the scars. He is the Passover Lamb, and he's raised from the dead. So this is the Song of the Lamb and the Song of Moses. In both of these songs, the themes are identical. If you, I gave you the scriptures, if you read them, you'd see that the first theme is that the Lord God Almighty reveals himself. He reveals himself to people with great and marvelous works. The second theme is that the king establishes his ways in justice and truth. Righteous and true are your ways, king of the nations the third theme is that god alone is to be feared and glorified in his holiness and the fourth theme is that all nations will come and worship him jesus is not going to have it in any other way the bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father and every nation will come and as we come to the end of the revelation we'll see this That when he sits in his kingdom, every nation of the earth will come and bow at his feet and worship him. You know, not very many people are bowing at his feet and worshiping him today. (laughs) Not very many at all. And God's not happy with that. And God's not okay with that. God's not just tolerant with that. That's not his will for us. We were created to be in relationship with our Creator. We were created to be in relationship with our God. And so that's what's coming. So look at verse 5. Verse 5. It says, After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures, their dressed as priests, Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels, remember the four living creatures, right? So one of them gives to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So he sees now the temple of the tabernacle of testimony the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. Again, parallels with Exodus. Um, In Hebrews chapter eight, five, which is making reference to Exodus chapter 25, verse 20. In Hebrews eight, five, it says, make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. I don't know if you know this, but the tabernacle that was made in the time of Moses, the temple with David, uh, with Solomon, David's son, and the second temple, uh, all of this was made as a copy of what really exists in heaven. It's a copy of what they've seen in heaven. Moses, it was revealed to him, the tabernacle of God that is in heaven. And that tabernacle is coming. We'll get to it in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem coming down, the place where God dwells with his people. The pattern of a local church today should be a pattern of people dwelling in the presence of God, that God is welcome in our homes, that he's welcome in this place. It's the tabernacle, it's the sanctuary, it's the holy place, and it's the tabernacle of God's testimony. It's the tabernacle of Jesus Christ. So these angels come out of the holy place, they come out of the place where the altar is, and they are clothed in priestly linen, and they're girded about with a golden sash, They're dressed like Jesus was dressed in chapter 1, verse 13. We talked about that then. And uh, that's because they represent Jesus Christ. They represent the angel of the Lord. They represent the Lamb of God. Jesus led them out of Egypt. Did you know that? Jesus led them out of Egypt, not Moses. Moses was God's instrument in the hands of Jesus. Jesus led them out of Egypt. He is the pillar of fire, and he is the pillar of cloud. And Jesus Christ is, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord that leads them. In the New Testament, we are told that the rock that Moses struck is Jesus. Did you know that? <laughs> in the New Testament, we are told that then when he spoke, it was supposed to speak to the rock, that that's also Jesus, and that it was a spiritual rock that was following them around. I'm not going to explain that to you. It's just what it says. (laughs) It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And there's a very clear picture in that, that at the first meeting with the rock, the rock was to be struck, crucified. But at the second meeting with the rock, Moses' great sin was that he crucified Jesus unto himself again. Instead of speaking, instead of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. So it was a very serious thing. And we see that Jesus is the one who led them out of Egypt. So these seven angels, they come and they represent Jesus. One of the four living creatures, and if you remember when we talked about them, they all represent Jesus. Each one of their faces, each one of them have attributes that represent Jesus, gives them these seven bowls full of God's wrath. Okay. Now I've got to remind you of something else without taking the time to go back and look all this up. These bowls, where, where did we see these bowls before? They're, they're bowls, listen to this. These are bowls of incense, right? We went a lot of detail talking about this. These are bowls of incense, and in these bowls are the prayers of the saints. Remember that? And what do we see way back in the fifth seal? That those people, those saints, those Christians who have been martyred for their faith. Okay, so these are the prayers of the saints. I can't believe I didn't forget where I was. These are the (laughs) prayers of the saints in these bowls, right? And you remember with the fifth seal, what are they praying? They're under the altar, and they're praying for God to pour out his wrath on the earth. They're actually praying, how long are you going to put up with this God? When are you going to take vengeance? When are you going to stop this? When will you pour out your wrath upon the earth? And I know that's not popular Christianity today because we have this... You know, sloppy grace thing, and 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 we just think, oh well, that God in the Old Testament, that's not the same one in the New Testament now, or something like that. Or we don't want to talk about that. But the judgment of God is all through the New Testament. Like I often like to say, there's no such thing as mercy without judgment. The whole point of mercy is not getting what you deserve. So there is no mercy without judgment. But God is very patient, and He tells them, you you've got to wait a while because the precious fruit of the earth hasn't come in yet. There's still time. For repentance. And when I pour out my wrath, that's it. You know, when, when those bowls are poured out and I put an end to this, that's it. There's no more time anymore. So that time has come. And it's come in answer to the prayers of the saints. And that's really interesting to me. The cooperation of heaven and earth. And how our prayers work together with God's will. And it's something that you can't always explain and you don't need to explain. It just is. Our prayers are so important to the accomplishment of God's will. And so these bulls that are being poured out, they are actually the prayers of the saints. And it says that the fire from this incense, the fire from these prayers, can you imagine your prayers burning? You know, I said this on Sunday, I'll say, this is not a Catholic church. I know. <laughs> but there are some things that Catholics in the world got that are kind of cool and they just turn into traditions, I get it. People don't understand them. But it's kind of cool to light a candle when you pray because it kind of reminds you that that's my prayer. It keeps burning even after I leave. And the smoke of it keeps rising up before God even when I say amen and I go away because those prayers, they keep working. So the smoke is burning from these prayers and fills the holy place uh, with God's glory and with his power. And it says that no one can enter the temple until the wrath of God is finished. This has to be finished. Well, another parallel to the book of Exodus. They're everywhere in here. In Exodus chapter 19, if you begin reading, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, if you begin reading with verse 18, you will see that God commanded that no one come on to Mount Sinai or even touch the mountain with their finger. And if they do, they will die. Only Moses and Joshua were allowed to be on that mountain. This is, a, this is something, both of whom are types of Jesus. This is something between the Son and the Father. This is the final thing. Will we will be standing there and looking at it happening. But it's an answer to our prayers, and no one will be allowed to go into the very presence of the Father until it is completely finished. So we see all these parallels between the book of Exodus and what we're reading here in Revelation. So let's jump into chapter 16. I'll see how much time I've got here. In chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Then I heard a loud voice uh, from the temple, saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loath- loathsome and malignant sore, a cancerous sore of the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image, well that's like the boils in uh, the Old Testament story of the Exodus. The bowl is poured into the earth. By the way, let me throw something else in before I forget it. That the uh, Greek word for bowl actually means a very shallow saucer, or even a vial. So these are things, in, in that word we see that, you know this is not a big giant bowl for popcorn. This is like a regular little bowl, a little saucer. We see that these things are poured out in very quick succession, one after another. Like I said, for 30 days, these will be poured out upon the earth. So it's poured out on the earth, and the dust of the earth becomes malignant, cancers, ulcers, boils, sores on all the people of the Antichrist kingdom. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 9, uh, in beginning with verse 8. I give you all these because I promise you, you'll get so much more out of this if you spend some time during the week rereading it and comparing it to these scriptures. And then we have the second bowl. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. So let me ask you this. Do do you see a difference between these bowls being poured out and what we've read previously in the seals and especially in the trumpets? There, There are no fractions. Everybody dies. Everybody gets the cancer. This is the end. This is the last of God's judgment being poured out. And then the third one. says, then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, so in the fresh water, and they became blood, exactly like in the book of Exodus. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous are you who are and who were O holy one because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Did you read that? We don't like to picture God like that, did we? But you know, at the end of the day, God has the last word. He has the final word. He's put up with it for so long that there comes a point when God will not be mocked. People reap what they sow. And that's what it means When it says they deserve it. Now you might be asking, who is the angel of the waters? Well, I can't be real clear with you on that. But I do know that there is some symbolism in that. Because the angel is is always symbolic of Jesus. And he is the angel of the word. The word are the waters. Um, So either way, the word is giving testimony to this. That Jesus is giving testimony to this. This is the answer to the prayers of the saints. And they deserve this because they poured out the blood of saints. Remember, fifth seal. Because they killed the saints, they deserve to drink blood, and all of their water is turned into blood. And I heard the altar saying, the actual altar, which is also Jesus, because he's offered upon the altar, the Lamb of God. Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And then we come to the fourth one. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Okay, there it is again. Why wouldn't you repent, at least at this point? <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of amazing. It, it makes me think a lot of in the book of Acts, how several times Paul says, that's it. I'm not going to preach to the Jews anymore. And I'm going to the Gentiles. And then you read the next city, he goes back to the Jews again. God has said already, there's no repentance for you if you take the mark of the beast. And yet he gives them another opportunity to repent. And they still reject He is the God of mercy. He loves people for God so loved the world. But he is a God of judgment. And these things do not contradict each other. They go hand in hand with one another. So it appears that at the end of the fourth bowl, there's still opportunity to repent, that the people of the earth, they reject that opportunity. So the sun, this is, you know, we talk a lot about, or people are talking a lot about, more now, so than probably any time I can run in my life, the possibility of an atomic you know, war, a nuclear war happening or something. Uh, well, I can promise you that what we read about here in the fourth bowl, if the sun were to burn out with deadly radiation and scorch all the people of the earth, that would be far more deadly to the people of the earth than any uh, you know, all-out nuclear worry. And that all the people of the earth are scorched, uh, that they're radiated by the sun, that God has completely removed his protection from them. And yet just like Pharaoh, see the parallels? Just like Pharaoh, even still, their hearts are hardened. And so then there is a difference, just like there is with the seven seals. There's a difference between the first four and the last three. And with the seven trumpets, there's a difference between the first four and the last three. The last three are the three woes, the final woes. Uh, there's a difference between the first four bowls and the last three. So I think we've got enough time just to go through these um, and... Uh, so let's look at bowl number five, verse 10. It says, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom, so on the Antichrist, and on his kingdom, and his kingdom, I'm sorry, on the throne of the beast. Where did he get that throne? Does anybody remember? The Antichrist got his throne from the dragon. You remember that? The dragon gives him the throne. Remember? The dragon's of the devil. The devil offered it to Jesus. He said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will simply bow down to me. And Jesus rejected that offer. The Antichrist accepts that offer. He's been given that throne. And so now the fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed all the people of his kingdom. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So there it is again after the fifth seal. Um, Go with me to Exodus chapter 10 for a minute. Get over there to Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21. In Exodus 10 and verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, and there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Now listen to this even a darkness which may be felt. You know, when it's dark at night, it can be as dark as you want it to be. No moon, no stars, doors all closed. I don't feel darkness. I don't know if you feel darkness. <laughs> Maybe in my dreams or imagination, I do, but I don't feel darkness. But there's a darkness that may be felt, because it's not just the darkness of the natural world, it's a spiritual darkness. When God has completely removed himself, and there's an utter vacuum in, uh, of darkness, in a black hole in, in, the, in the kingdom of the Antichrist. It said that they would feel, he said to the Egyptians, you will feel the darkness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Notice that it's described as thick. I mean, in my mind, in the natural world, darkness isn't thick or thin, it's just darkness. People sometimes say, well, darkness doesn't even exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. Well, apparently darkness does exist. And yes, it's the absence of God's light, but it is a spiritual force. And it says that it was so thick that it could be felt. And it says they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Hallelujah. All the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings, but the Egyptians didn't have any light at all. And so they will feel this darkness, and because of the darkness, they will gnaw at their tongues because of the pain of this darkness, and they will blaspheme the God of heaven. And then it says that a sixth bowl will be poured out. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Let me go ahead and read. In fact, we, we won't do the seventh bowl night. We'll save it for next time. But let me read through the, six, the sixth bowl. Prepare for the kings of the east. I want to come back and talk about that. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon And out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. So they they haven't given up yet. Even with all these five bulls, they still haven't given up. Now they're determined that they are going to break and destroy the power of this king who is coming. can, Can you even imagine that someone would live their life? I know you can after I describe it. They'll say, yeah, actually, I know a lot of people like that would live their life in such a way that God would have so much mercy for them, wait so long for them, and when they begin to reap what they've sown and things are coming down from heaven, that they'd shake their fist at God and say, I hate you because of this. When they know they deserve it. They know that God has been so patient with them, so loving, and even now will forgive them. But they refuse to repent. So even now, the kingdom of the beast, the kingdom of the Antichrist, decides instead of repenting or surrendering, he could surrender. That's what salvation is. Ultimately, we surrender to Christ. If they won't surrender, they're going to fight him. It says, they, uh, these three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons. So again, we have a parallel to a plague in Egypt, the frogs. They are spirits of demons. Remember, the magicians could replicate the frogs. Okay? they could do that they could release the spirits of demons and they're performing signs they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty verse 15 behold I am coming like a thief blessed is one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame and they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har maybe the one or as we usually say Armageddon so let's just talk about that for a few minutes and then we'll, we'll end with this uh, sixth bowl, and we'll start with the seventh bowl next time. So the first thing I want to say to you is this bowl is poured out on the Euphrates to dry it up. okay? So that a way can be made for the kings from the east. That the kings of the earth, they will enter the promised land from Babylon. They will enter from the east, okay? across the river Euphrates. So Most of you, probably, when you went to school and took geography, you learned about where the river Euphrates is, and then you never thought of it again until over the last few decades, all this fighting we've been doing in Iraq and uh, everything that's been going on in the world. Everything over the past couple of decades in the world is going on at the river Euphrates. I remember with the first... uh, Not the first one, but whatever, Desert Storm, whatever. What was the second one called? Desert Storm? With Bush Jr. (laughs) Well, anyway, the second time we, you know, when we took out Saddam Hussein. I remember when we were going over this one thought, is this really wise for us to be fighting in Babylon? Because, I mean, it's like, what? What? What demons will be stirred up there? What might be happening, you know, in, in the course of this? What Where is the world going today and what's going on? So it says that the river Euphrates has to be dried up to make room for them. Now, it may, you may think that in modern warfare that a river doesn't uh, oppose an army at all. I mean, we've got jets, we've got, uh, you know, uh, aircraft carriers, we've got whatever you can say that and, and the river doesn't affect us. You know, that's absolutely not true, that a river with no bridges still stops an army just like it always did. And so the river Euphrates will be dried up for a specific purpose, to make way for the kings of the east. So it makes a picture of these kings of the east who are standing at the river Euphrates waiting to get across. And why are they there? because the antichrist and the false prophet and the dragon these three working together have sent out demonic spirits and how do those demonic spirits go they go like frogs coming out of their mouths at our world this is happening already i'm going to say we're living in the time of the sixth bull but it's happening right now it's most of what's going over the internet frogs 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 just lies and deceptions, lies, and deceptions, brainwashing our children with lies, brainwashing our young people with lies, brainwashing us with lies, brainwashing this world, and they're going out like frogs with one purpose to deceive people and make them stand and fight against Jesus, to cast off the bonds of Jesus. What do you think all this stuff has been over the past, you know, 10 years about gay marriage? It's a casting off of the bonds of the law of God and saying, we will not be bound by you. We will define marriage however we want to define marriage. And most of you have probably seen it in the news that suddenly we have a different definition for recession. Because we don't want to have recession, so we just won't call it a recession. You know, it doesn't matter anymore. We'll just change the meaning of words. That's what the Antichrist does. He changes times. He changes definitions of things in order to deceive people. So they send these unclean spirits out. They go out like frogs and they perform signs and wonders and they draw the kings of the earth down to Armageddon, okay, which we'll talk, we've talked about some, we'll talk about it more. But they draw them down, we actually we talked about it last week, where the, the blood would flow, right, to the, to the uh, 1500 Sadia. It's 1500, 1600, 40 times 40. And uh, we talked about those things. So that's what's happening right here. We're seeing more details of this. Why this is happening. How in the world could it be that all the nations of the earth, or most of them anyway, would agree, all the kings of the earth would agree together, the entire United Nations would agree together that uh, we're going to fight against Jesus coming back. I can think of several ways that would be possible. are they today? Most people in the United States believe that there are creatures living on another planet and that they visit the earth. If you believe that, I don't want to fake you. But that's not a Bible. It's not what the Bible teaches, okay? It's a deception and it's a lie. And it's very easy for people to be deceived today. Very easy. As intelligent as we are, we believe stuff that Abraham would have thought was utter nonsense and laughed in our faces <laughs> for believing it. You know what I'm saying? Just like, well, a man can have a baby. People believe that. If you did a, a, a survey across America, people would be afraid to say no. That's not true because they don't see that the emperor is actually naked. You know the story of the emperor's new clothes. They don't see that. They see he's naked, but everyone else says he has clothes, so they don't want to say it. And they've been deceived. They've been lied to. It says right here in verse 15, which, by the way, is something that Jesus interjects into the story. Okay, that's why it's in parentheses. Jesus tells John, write this down, add this right here to make sure that in 2022, when they read this in Yarrington, they read this. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. You know, if people don't see the nakedness, but, but it's there. Let me talk about something that's in the news right now. Okay, so Nancy Pelosi, 82-year-old grandma, very rich, very wealthy, no idea why she has so much power in her country. I mean, I mean just, I'm, I'm trying not to be political or partisan here, but this woman is just dangerous for America. She just really is. And for some reason, we let her go to Taiwan, and she lands in Taiwan today. Even though Chinese are... I don't know what's going to happen with all this. I don't know what's going to happen at all. And this isn't some prophetic word, but based on what the Bible says about kings of the East... Mark my words, I believe that we will see the rise of the kings of the east, and we will see the United States being alienated from the kings of the east, that a power will rise in the east, because it talks about it here. And there's never, I mean, you could have read this in the 60s, and you would have laughed to think that China would ever rise with such power that China has today. But it might be that August the 2nd, 2022 should be marked as the day that america utterly lost any influence it had over the east because i don't know what's going to come of this i don't know if there'll be war what will happen with taiwan or anything like that but i know that the nations of the world look at that and say if they can mock china like that they're going to mock us too Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and it didn't make any sense and i'm trying not to talk about politics but i want you to see this is today's news that we're reading the kings of the east being united together. It makes no sense to go up to any uh, nation of the east, as this would say. I guess you're not supposed to use the word Oriental anymore, so I don't know what word you're supposed to use. Oriental just means east. But it makes no sense to go to people of any tribe or any tongue, but especially people that so value their culture and saving face and then just spit in her face like that and expect that there would be no consequences. And what are we getting from that? Zero. It's, it's just crazy nonsense that's happening in the world. Today. That doesn't make any sense. And supposedly our president didn't want her to go, but she went anyway. But you know this nonsense. He owns the plane she's flying on. He doesn't know we do. But all he has to do is call and say, the pilots, turn that thing around. Do not land her there. She has no power. She's not the president of the United States. She's the Speaker of the House. So I don't want to get into the politics of that. I just want you to see that we are living at times when the kings of the East are rising. Things are changing. And August the 2nd, 2022 might be a huge changing point in history. I think so. You know, when I was a kid in the 70s, I remember Nixon going to China, and the doors open to China, and Kissinger making all the scenes with China. And they were doing that with the real communist powers of China because they wanted there to be some open door. You know, we didn't used to want to just kill everybody all the time. Now, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, can't, I, I don't know if Nancy wanted a Boba tea or what it was. But <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I don't understand why she would actually go there when they said, don't go. But you know, that's just me. But I do see that God is working. And God is separating these, the earth into different tribes. And so there's a rising of the kings from the east. And if you want to know, is China in Bible prophecy? Well, it's there at least. That's at least one place that China is in Bible prophecy because uh, these are the kings from the east. So there's a rising of the kings from the east. But they don't come to make war with the kings from the west. They come to join forces with the kings from the west in this war that we usually call Armageddon at this valley, at this place called Har and which means the uh, tell or the hill of, of Megiddon. And I'll, I'll give you more information about that next week. I think that's probably enough for this week. But uh, I'll talk to you about the Mount of Megiddo. Uh, maybe I can make a little map next week because that would really help you to see it. And uh, then we'll talk about the seventh bowl of God's wrath and we'll move into... The next part that's talking about the fall, the fall of Babylon. So this is where we are today. You know, in the scripture, we're at the seventh bowl, and uh, the seventh bowl. You know, we're not there yet in our history, but we might be at the first seal. You know, we might be at the second seal. I don't know exactly where we are. I know the time of the great tribulation hasn't started yet, but it may be starting really soon. All the things have been prepared and are being prepared. Even this Kings of the East thing. I mean, that's, that's something really uh, different, this drying up of the Euphrates. You know, it wasn't that long ago that nobody paid any attention. I mean, really, in the course of our lives, it was not that long ago that nobody ever thought that places like China, Iraq, Iran, that they could ever you know, really wield any power over what happens to us in Yerington, Nevada. Now we know that that's not true because everything is changing and God is preparing. But what he's preparing is to draw everyone down to one place and pour out this final bowl of his wrath and come back and establish his kingdom upon the earth. I really want to talk to you about the seventh bowl. There's a really great spiritual truth that's in there that has to do with the hailstones that fall upon people's heads. I'll get to it next week. Um, but I do want to say this. I want to have this in right now. A lot of times, and as we're going through this, we'll be able to see this a little bit over, but a lot of times people hear about this and they wonder, well, if, is, so is Jesus going to kill absolutely everybody on the earth? And, and then only Christians will live on the earth or whatever they'll be called then. Only the saints will live on the earth then. Then, like, who are we going to rule and reign over if we rule and reign, like, over each other? And then how is there going to be that, that after the thousand years... Uh, Satan is released and he deceived, will he deceive us? But that's not, the Bible doesn't say that he's going to kill everybody on the earth at all. (laughs) And at Armageddon are all the armies of the kings of the earth. You know, if the entire United States Army got wiped out tonight, none of us would die because none of us are in the United States Army. You you understand what I'm saying? That he's going to destroy uh, the governments of the earth. He's going to subjugate the armies of the earth. He's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth but many people will live on into the time of the, the millennium, as it's usually called, into the thousand-year reign of Christ. But we'll talk about that uh, more later. Right. Fathers, thank you for your word this evening. I pray that as we meditate on these things, there, there are always so many questions, so many things that we don't understand. It's amazing. It's just amazing to me this morning to see what's happening in Taiwan and China and around there and in it together with this verse about the kings of the east that all the things every single detail of your word uh, will be fulfilled not one jot and not one tittle will be left unfulfilled that everything you have spoken that heaven and earth will pass away but that this word will be fulfilled lord i thank you that you have said that we should not uh, add to this book and we should not take away from this book lord so help us not to just Slap on our own meanings, Lord, but to keep our hearts open to you, that this would be fulfilled and we would be prepared. Above all, Lord, I pray that we would not take anything away from this book. And I pray that we would listen to the what what you said there in verse 15, that we would not be found naked, that we would be honest today with ourselves and what's going on around us, and we would not be deceived by the emperor's new clothes, that we would not end up being naked together with the Antichrist, Lord, that we would be found clothed in you. I pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at youringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF podcast.